Thank you, Joan. I'm sure that um, you've heard and probably uh, you have used this uh, phrase yourself on many occasions. Um, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? I'm sure that you've all heard that little phrase. Jesus is the reason for the season, and that's true. But this morning, I'd like to kind of ask you the question, what's the reason for Jesus? Jesus is the reason for the season, to be sure. But what's the reason for Jesus? Why did Jesus come at Christmas? And I want to suggest to you that there's really only one answer, and that answer is because God actually loves you. God loves us. And he sent Jesus uh, into the world on our behalf. Jesus is the reason for the season, but the reason for Jesus is God's love for you and for me. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, in, um, in this the love of God was made manifest. In this. In what? In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this is love. Love, the love of God has been manifested in a way that we can all understand. And so I like to ask the question, you know, how do you know for sure that God loves you? I know it's kind of a platitude, and I've been to enough funerals to, you know, hear everybody pronounce to everybody else, God loves, you know, whoever. And uh, it's kind of a, you know, a, a, a phrase that is used uh, pretty often. But how do we know that God's love is more than just a sentiment, right? A feel-good sentiment that people say, to one another when they don't know what else to say. And I want to suggest to you this morning that God has made his love manifest. There's no question about the fact that God loves us. God's love is defined, it's demonstrated, it's made plain in this, the Bible says, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live um, through him. His only son. You know, Jesus is unique. He's one of a kind. He's fully God and fully man. He was around before the creation. In fact, the Bible says all things were created by him. But God then sent him into the creation that he created. Um, God sent him into the world to show us that we are loved. So that we might live through him, the Bible says. The Bible offers us, God offers us in Jesus, the greatest gift ever given, the person of Jesus himself. Um, praise be to God for his inexpressible gift, Paul says in uh, Corinthians. And then uh, at the end of verse 9, it says that we might live through him. Uh, God's Love was manifested in that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Eternal life. God gave us his life 
through him. God's love has been made manifest, proved by Jesus, God's only son coming into the world. And then in verse 10, uh, as we read, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation uh, for our sins. Jesus wasn't only sent into the world, um, but he became the propitiation, which is like a theologian's word, right? Like, what does that mean? It just means to appease. Jesus is the appeaser, to make things right, to appease uh, God and his righteousness and his uh, justice and to uh, satisfy his desire for us to be close to him because he loves us. And so I'd like to just invite you to think about love a little bit uh, this morning. And uh, I want to suggest a number of things that love is. And I want to say that the first thing about love is that love wants to be close to the object of its love, doesn't it? Love always wants to be close to the object of its love. And God wanted to be close uh, to us. And so that's what love does. It wants to be close to the object of its love. When I first uh, saw Barb in college, uh, which is a couple years ago, um, I wanted to find a way to get close enough to her to talk to her. I wanted to kind of introduce myself, right? And so that took some doing. And, uh, you know, I watched who her friends were. And when I finally found a common friend, I said, do you think, you know, I could talk to her kind of thing? And you know how that goes. And, uh, and, and then once I had the opportunity to talk to her, I wanted to get a little closer so that I could ask her on a date. And um, it's just what love does, right? And so... Um, I was driving around one night and I'm driving down this road and in the middle of the road, there's a whole crowd of people and I look and uh, in the middle of the crowd of people on a tripod, there's a TV camera, right? And uh, there's a spotlight on this house and so I park my car, get out, and I go ask, you know, I'm like, what's going on here? And um, <laughs> the guy says to me, do you see the plant on the front porch of this house. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, it's a night blooming cereus. It's a plant that only blooms once a year and it only blooms at night and tonight is the night. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, all these people are <laughs> out here and so forth. But I get an idea. I think, you know what? I'm going to go back to campus. I'm going to find Barb. I'm going to tell her all about this. And I'm going to ask her if she wants to go see it. So I go back to campus, I find Barb, I'm like all excited about, did you ever hear of a night-blooming Sirius, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm telling her, and I said, but you know what, uh, it only blooms tonight, you have to go with me right now, and we're going to go see, you know, this night-blooming Sirius that only blooms once a night. Well, she doesn't believe me, right, right off the bat. <laughs> you know what she said to me? She said, my mother warned me about guys like you. <laughs> I'm trying to establish a first date. This is my first shot at this, right? I'm just trying to get going with a first date. Well, she wouldn't go with me unless she could bring one of her girlfriends with her, which was not my plan, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, after our first date, if you will, uh, I had to figure out 
you know, how I was going to save her from her mother's misperception of me. <laughs> Even though she never met me. She, you know, I never met her. Graham, we call her, you know, lovingly and affectionately. But I had to figure out, how am I going to, you know, overcome this first impression uh, that Barb has about, this is the guy that my mother warned me about. So I want to suggest to you that that's what love does, okay? Uh, in Luke chapter 19, uh, Jesus says this. He says, the Son of Man came, God came in the person of Jesus to seek, to get close, and to save from misperceptions. There's a lot of people who have ideas about God who have never let him get close enough to speak for himself. I could tell you about the first time I met Barb's mom and had to, you know, try to overcome her perception of me from a distance. But when we invite Jesus to come close to us, he builds a relationship with us based on trust and truth. He builds a relationship with us on the basis of the truth about God and the truth about us. But if you never let him get close enough to you to be able to speak to you, and build a relationship with you, you never figure that out. He came looking for us. Why? Because God sent him. Why? Because God loves us. Everybody knows, right? God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would let him close enough to them would open a space in their heart for him might not perish but have everlasting life. God so loves us, he became a human being to get close enough to us so that we could speak. He came as a baby. I, I mean, imagine if God came in all of his glory. We've seen that, you know, he came as a baby and everybody was afraid, right? The common reaction was fear. Imagine if God came in all of his glory. We'd be running for the hills. In fact, when we talk about his second coming, we read, you know, in the book of Revelation, people be hiding in the mountains and looking for caves and just like, how do I get away from the awesome presence of our awesome God? So, number one, love wants to get close. So Jesus came all the way from heaven. We're talking about how can we take a step closer to him this year uh, and so on. Second, I want to suggest to you that uh, love wants to communicate. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 1. This is great advice. Long ago, at many times and in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. You want to hear from God? Here's how, the God we have is a speaking God. He's not silent. He's a speaking God, and he always goes first. He speaks first. He, he seeks the first date with us, right? He always goes first. He came to us. And uh, he speaks to us, but he speaks to us in these days through his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. How does God speak? How do I hear from him? How can I know what God wants to say to me? He speaks through Jesus. And then God saw to it uh, that what Jesus said was written down uh, for us so that we can, uh, nobody has to really miss the message that God sent with Jesus into the world because 
God wrote it down. If, you just, if you're following along in your Bible in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, uh, here's you know, what the Bible says about, or what God says about his own word. Uh, the word of God is living. The word of God, the Bible, is alive. It's not like any other book. God will speak to us through his word, right? God is a speaking God. He's not silent. We can know from him. We can get it from his lips. The word of God is living and it's active. You let the word of God get loose. You let Jesus into your space, into your heart, and all of a sudden you're going to find that, you know, the word of God knows you better than you know yourself. Look at this. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. I, I think, you know, we all have three parts, right? We talked about this before. We all have a body. We all understand what that's about. We all have a soul. That's uh, the word is psyche, and it's just the non-material part of us. Our soul, I think, is made up of our thoughts, our feelings, and our choices, or our mind, our heart, and our will. Right? That's our soul, the non-material part of us. The body dies, soul goes on to be with the Lord, the non-material part of us. And we all have a spirit. And the Bible tells us that when we're born, our spirits are dead in trespasses and sins. And you know how the Bible talks about being born again? Well, what happens? It's not our bodies that are born again. It's not our psyche that's born again. It's our spirit that is given the very spirit of God to be enlivened. And the spirit begins to influence our soul, begins to influence our mind, and that influences our bodies and what we do with them and uh, how we choose to use them and so forth. And the Bible speaks to the division between soul and spirit, okay, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions, not just of your mind, but your heart. The Bible is God's word. God wrote it, and it's living, and it can change our lives. It does change our lives. Um, the Bible is different than any other book, and in it, God reveals himself. So again, so many people have ideas about God, right? But they've never allowed Jesus close enough. Their ideas are based on their own limited experience. And if all you have to go on is your own observations and your own little life, and you've never let God come close enough to speak for himself, um, you have some misperceptions, just like Barb's mother had a total misperception of me because I'd never been close enough. She'd never been close enough to meet me and to talk to me and so forth. She had ideas about me out of her love for her daughter and so forth. And again, many people have ideas about God uh, lots come from fear. Uh, somebody said fear, F-E-A-R. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Today we just call it fake news, right? <laughs> false evidence appearing real creates fear. So if we don't allow God to speak truth into our hearts and into our souls and into our lives and allow him to come close enough to talk to us, uh, he can't communicate with us. And there's no relationship without communication. Isn't that right? You can't have a, some marriage counselors will tell you 90% of a relationship is communication. You can't really have a relationship without communication. So, uh, wants to be, love wants to be close. Love wants to communicate. Love wants to give. Love wants to give. God so loved us that he what? gave and he gave his best right in sending his son into the world jesus uh, said in mark uh, 10 45 again uh, 
he said, you know, I didn't come into the world to be served. I came here to serve. Mark 10, 45, the first part of the verse. Uh, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. What does love want to do? Love wants to serve. God so loved that he gave, he served. He came to love and to serve. And I would suggest to you that every other religion in the world is all about what you have to do to love and serve God. But Christianity is about what God has done to love and serve you and me. There's a world of difference. That's why John says, listen, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. You know, I, uh, I had to go to the bank uh, this past week on behalf of another uh, organization, and uh, I had to get in touch with the bank manager, and we sat down and got talking and so forth. And this guy, he was a riot. He says, well, I'm the world's worst Catholic, he says to me, right? And uh, I said, well, why is that? He said, uh, well, I never go to church, you know. And so we got talking about it. He says, all it is is, you know, I feel so guilty, guilty, guilt, 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 you know. And I said, hey, it's Christmas. Don't you know that Jesus came to take away our sin? You know, don't you understand? This is really good news. And we got into this conversation together that was really you know, a lot of fun because, you know, Jesus came here to serve us. We have a need that we couldn't satisfy and Jesus said, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to appease God, your father, so that you can be reconciled, so that you can be right, so that you can be relaxed. You know what the Bible goes on to say? So that you can even call God dad, Abba, father. Ah. What a God, you know? God came here to serve us. Every religion in the world is the opposite of that. Um, It's like God said, I'm going to take on myself no matter what it costs me, everything that comes between me, a holy, holy, holy God, and the people I created whom I love. And I'm going to get rid of it. Because I hate the separation. I hate the rift that's created by sin. And I'm going to take it away so that I can have my people back. And that's what he did. Um, You know, so uh, we could be together, God says. God goes first. He he asked for the first date, uh, as uh, I suggested. But, you know, God came into the world in Jesus and the world rejected him. The Bible says, John chapter 1, you know, people love darkness rather than light. And Jesus was the light of the world. He was the good news of God that had come from eternity into our uh, sphere, you know. And but the world rejected him. The world crucified him. But it was all part of a plan. God knew it was going to happen. He even tells us in the scriptures, you know, that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, before he even created everybody. He knew that this is what he was going to have to do, and so forth. So when Jesus went to the cross in our place to absorb the wrath of God and to appease the holiness of God, the justice of God, I want to suggest to you that you can know that you are loved because God was willing to take his own son and put him in your place so that we could be together with God for all of eternity. You are loved. You are loved because God has served us. Jesus became our sin, the Bible says. And for the first time, 
for the very first time in all of eternity, the father turned his back on the son when Jesus was on the cross. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? And it turns out the answer to that question, why, is because God loves you and because God loves me. And that's why he was willing to turn his back on Jesus as Jesus became our sin. So I want to suggest to you, it turns out that ultimately the reason for the season is you and me. The reason for Jesus coming into the world is because God sent him and God sent him because he loves us and there was no other way that we could be reconciled to God. None of us could do it ourselves. None of us could meet the standard. And so God took it upon himself to do it. Turns out you and I are ultimately the reason for the season. Now, I know sometimes we feel pretty small. Right? Sometimes we feel pretty insecure. We feel insufficient, right? But this is huge. God, the creator of the universe, loves you. Now, here's what I know, and you know. Loved people are very different than unloved people. Wouldn't you say? Would you agree with me? Loved people are different than unloved people. And God loves us. And uh, God's love was costly. It was very expensive. It cost him a rupture in the Godhead itself, a wound that went deep. But this expensive love is able to transform people's lives. This love of God has a power that comes with it that changes us, transforms us. Here's a couple of examples. I believe that the love of God transforms our earthly life into eternal life. Eternal life starts now and goes for eternity. And God's love has the power to change our earthly life into living an eternal life. God's power, God's love for us, uh, has the power to transform our sins and our mistakes into forgiveness. Unlike my uh, bank manager friend, We can live with no guilt, not because we aren't guilty, but because those sins were covered on the cross by the precious blood of Jesus. God's love is transforming. I think he, uh, follow. if if you follow Jesus around, you know, when people messed up and, and Jesus was walking around on the earth, Rick Warren says it like this. He says, you know, if you follow Jesus around, you'll see that When people messed up, Jesus didn't rub it in. He rubbed it out. And I think that's such a good way to think about that. And that's what he came to do. He came to serve us, to get rid of what stands between us and our Heavenly Father. I think that God's love for us is able to change uh, circumstances, negative circumstances, into character or faith-building exercises. You have a bad you know, circumstance and so forth. If you give God room to get into your space and to get into your heart, he'll transform that difficult negative circumstance into a faith-building exercise that will enable us to grow and so on and so forth. Um, By the way, 
Love and power are opposite ideas. Let's let that sink in a minute. Love and power are opposite ideas. Whoever loves the most in a relationship has the least amount of power. If you're crazy about your spouse, but your spouse is so-so about you, who's got all the power? If you love the most, you have the least amount of power. Now, when Jesus came the first time, he came in love. He came to love. He came as a baby. He emptied himself. He humbled himself, and he became one of us. He came in love. When he comes back, he's coming in power. Revelation 19, he's going to destroy the nations. He's going to, you know, uh, demonstrate the fury of the wrath of God against everything that's wrong and evil and bad and unrighteous. And you read Revelation 19. When he comes back, he's coming in power. And you can take these four words, right? Um, Acceptance, affirmation, accountability, and authority. Love starts with acceptance, looks for something to affirm. Yes, there's accountability. Yes, there's a sense of authority that gets into the relationship in different circumstances. But that's the way love operates. That's the way God came to us. Right? Power does just the opposite. Power starts with the authority, capitalizes on the accountability, It's very hard for power to affirm anything good in anybody that disagrees with them. And it's very hard for power to finally accept a person and love them by acceptance. Uh, I might say that we're talking about love. Jesus came with love. We had all the power. We killed him. When he comes back, he's coming in power. We're going to be hiding under the rocks, not us, but the rest of the world to get away, because love and power are kind of opposite ideas. Uh, Jesus came to serve us, love serves. But there's a second part to Mark 10, 45, and it says this, he he came, Jesus came, you know, to not to be served, but to serve, and he also came to give his life as a ransom. He came to give and to give his life. He came to serve, and part of that was offering his life as a ransom. A ransom is a price you pay to get back a kidnapped person, right? Or a slave or a prisoner. Jesus died in the place of all who would put their faith in him, but we won't understand it or get it until we let Jesus close enough to speak to us and to explain. The reason that we have so many problems in this life is because at the very beginning, the Bible says we were all in Adam. We talked about this. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ, right? And We were all in Adam, and the enemy came along and kidnapped Adam from God. And we were all in him, and so when we come into the world, we were all in Adam, and we all start out there. Um, And so Jesus came to pay the ransom for us. Again, Romans 5.8, listen to this. But God, okay, shows his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners. This is not some God who's sitting around waiting for us to get our act together. This is a God who goes first. This is a God who says, I love you. You're a mess, but I love you anyway. You know, And because I love you, uh, verse 8, God shows his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. He's not waiting around for us to get our act together. 
But he loves us to the point where he goes first. And I want to suggest that one of the things the, the world that we live in needs is to experience the love of God. And it means that we have to go first because God reached out to us. We have to reach out to, you know, we can't just say, you know what? If you want to know God, come to church. You'll figure it out, you know, if you just come to church. No. I think people first have to experience the love of God, and that comes through us. We're the body of Christ. We're the hands, the feet, the mouth. We're the huggers. We're the, you know, givers. We're the servers. We're the, we're the body of Christ. And we demonstrate his love by us being willing to reach out and love the bank teller or the bank manager guy and tell him the good news because that's what God did for us. Peter, you know, I like to uh, go around and say, well, Jesus thought like this and Paul thought like this and Peter thought like this and John thought like this. Here's how Peter puts it, right? Same kind of idea. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The gospel changes everything. That we might die to sin, we might die to one way of living, and that we might embrace righteousness, embrace a whole new way of living. The kingdom of this world behind the kingdom of God in front. You know, and Peter says, you know, that we might die to sin, live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. When we let Christ come close and get into our space, uh, he sets us free. And not only that, but, uh, you know, we don't live in a neutral world, right? Uh, God loves us, um, but the world we live in is not neutral. Uh, the world we live in has an enemy, an enemy of God and therefore an enemy of us. And that enemy is trying to destroy the relationship between us and our Father that Jesus came to establish and so he's always working at it. So in 1 John chapter 3, we read about another reason, or another demonstration of uh, God's love for us in Jesus. In 1 John 3 and verse 5, it says this, um, you know that he appeared to take away sins. Why did Jesus come? What does love do? Love forgives. Love takes away sins. Love, I have a, a friend and uh, in... Uh, I forget whether it's first or second Corinthians, but anyway, uh, talking about an issue in a church back in Corinth uh, in, in Paul's day. And uh, Paul asks a question of somebody who's been offended, you know, why wouldn't you rather be wronged than take somebody to court? Why wouldn't you rather just be wronged? Why wouldn't you just absorb the other person's offense? Why wouldn't you do what God did for you when you let Jesus close enough to you and you realize he absorbs, he appeases our offenses to the Father? Why wouldn't you do that? And that became his theme verse. And so here in 1 John, one of the reasons or one of the ways that God demonstrates his love in Christ, uh, verses 8 and 9, uh, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to uh, counter the temptations of the one who's trying to destroy our relationship with the Father. Another uh, expression of God's love for us is uh, the defeat of the enemy and so on. And I'm out of time, but I want to just do one last uh, demonstration of uh, what I believe is... Uh, 
uh, are really significant. Romans uh, chapter 15. The Apostle Paul talks about one other thing that uh, comes with Jesus in delivering God's love to us. And I think it's so important. It's such a significant thing. In Romans chapter 15 and verses 8 and 9, here's what Paul writes to that church. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the circumcised, the Jewish people. He came to his own, right? His own rejected him. Um, of the circumcised to show God's faithfulness. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now you know that if you go way, way back in history, God came to a guy named Abraham, right? His name was Abram at the time, but God came to him and made a promise to him. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and out of that nation is going to come a blessing for all the ethne, all the ethnicities of the world, all the families of the earth, right? For all the ethne. And so uh, what Paul is writing here to the Roman uh, church is saying, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. You can trust God. Everything that God says is true. He made these promises thousands of years ago, and he kept the promise because when Jesus came, he proved that God's word is true. That God said this is what he's going to do, and then he did it in Jesus. And then he goes on. And he says this, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then Paul quotes, he gives three uh, quotes from three different parts of the Old Testament to prove that it was always God's plan to save the Gentiles. Now, a lot of Jewish people thought that, you know, the Gentile thing was an afterthought, you know, kind of thing. But Paul then quotes from, uh, first of all, the first five books of the Bible, the law. He quotes from the law. Then he quotes from the prophets, and then he quotes from the wisdom literature. He quotes from Psalms. So the three major divisions of the Old Testament Paul quotes from to prove that it was always in God's mind for the Gentile people to be reconciled to him all the way back to Abraham. And so in uh, Romans chapter 4, Paul says, you know, Abraham is the father of us all, right? Three different religions claim Abraham as their father, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. But we don't have time for that. One last verse. Um, You say that I'm a king, Jesus said. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just pause here today just... uh, maybe in a little bit of wonder about what a great God you are, what an awesome God you are. And that you came to us first in love, that we might be reconciled to you, that we might get right, that before you come in uh, power and to exercise justice and uh, that you would gather your children together, the church And uh, I pray, Heavenly Father, that this Christmas might be significant in our lives, that we might really think about the effort that you put into coming close to us in love. And uh, we all know that the first commandment that you left with us is that we're supposed to love like you love us. And so when we evaluate, you know, how good we are at loving other people that you love, um, let's compare it to the way that you love us. 
Jesus said, this is the one new commandment I'm going to leave with you, that you must love others the way that I love you. And so sometimes I think about the way that I love others and I think, wow, it's not like the love that I experience from you. And so help us to just reevaluate for Jesus' sake. Amen.